been going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount for the last uh, several months, uh, talking about roots. Our, uh, the theme for the year has been roots. I uh, want to let you know what we're going to be doing for the next month or so, and then even going into next year. Uh, we didn't nearly get through the Sermon on the Mount this year, and uh, as I prayed about it and really kind of considered it, it's just uh, we're going to continue this theme into next year, 2023, which is like just over a month away. Can you imagine that? And, uh, but today we're going to, this is going to be the last message for this year on this theme. And then next week we're going to start um, kind of a, a Christmas roots kind of series and talking about uh, what Christmas is and, and uh, things like that. So I hope your plans include church. Uh, for those of you who haven't realized, the calendar uh, does have Christmas falling on a Sunday this year. So Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, we're still going to have church. Uh, we'll be here. I know many of you have family commitments. Many will be out of town. Uh, please don't feel guilty. Don't feel like you have to hide anything from anybody. Uh, we're not that way here at New Life. Uh, I believe family is important. I just want to let you know that the church will be here that Sunday morning. Uh, if I'm the only one here, then I'll probably... I don't know if I'll lead worship or not, but we'll, uh, we'll, I might, I might, that might be my Christmas present to the church, me singing out loud in public, hey. and my New Year's resolution will be not to ever do it again, but, but anyway, uh, that's, that's what's coming up this month, I'm excited about it, uh, excited about the coming year. And uh, so let's just, let's dig back into Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 19. We've moved on now from what was called the Lord's Prayer. We talked about prayer for the last several weeks. And I, I really hope that the way we approached prayer, the way we looked at it and broke it down was, uh, was maybe a little bit different and, and challenging to you in your prayer life. I know I heard a lot of comments back and it was always good to have feedback, always good to have positive feedback. If I get negative feedback, it's usually in the form of an email, so, but I didn't get any of those, so I'm thankful. But, uh, so we, we finished up that, and now we're moving on, uh, and we get to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. If you'd stand with me as we read God's word this morning. Jesus is speaking, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You may be seated. Verse 21 is where we really are going to focus. Because that's the catchphrase there. That's the, that's the punchline, right? That's, that's the meat of the message. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the word treasure here that, that Jesus used means the things that you hold dear. The treasures in your life, those things that you hold dear, your collected treasures and where you store them. When he talks about the heart, uh, where your tre- when, he, when he says where your treasures are, where you, where you store, where you keep, where you hold those things that hold are, are so dear to you, the most important things to you in your life. Think about that. Ask yourself that question. What is the treasure of my life? What, what really matters? You know, there's a lot of times that we just go through our day, right? A lot of times we just go through life and life just happens and uh, 
the next day starts before we even realized it, the, the previous day ended. But then there are those times where life just slows down. It may not slow down for everybody around you, but it slows down for you because of the circumstances you're in, the situation you go through, whatever it is that's happening to you at that time. And in those moments, I believe that's where we really realize what truly is that we treasure, what, we truly, what truly does matter to us the most, where, what our treasure is and where our treasure is. After teaching us about prayer and then about fasting, we, we skipped over the fasting part in Matthew chapter 6 because in, in January, for those of you who are new to New Life, and we haven't done this for the last couple of years because of COVID, but in January we do, uh, anybody who wants to, it's not a requirement to be part of the church, but anybody who wants to uh, participates in a two-week fast, two-week Daniel fast is what we call it. And the fast that we, uh, that I uh, throw out to the church at that time is not, you know, not eating anything. Not, it's giving something up for two weeks. And my my philosophy on fasting in this two, during this two week time is, if it matters to you, it matters to God. So it might be food for somebody like me, um, who, quite honestly, right now, if I gave up food, it wouldn't really matter. I had I had uh, my my stomach cut out back in May, and the benefit of that surgery is that I just don't get hungry. So it wouldn't really matter to me. So I'm, I'm praying about what I could really give up for two weeks that truly would matter to me, that would really make a difference. And no, it's not going to be coffee. So stop with the suggestions already. Right? But give up, be willing to give up something for two weeks. And we're going to talk about fasting and what fasting is. That's why we didn't cover it here uh, in, this, uh, in, in, in this series and what it truly means to fast, because fasting is one of those things that has kind of gone out of fashion in, in churches. And fasting is, yet fasting is incredibly important. Jesus, before Jesus started his earthly ministry, after he was uh, baptized by John the Baptist, what happened? He went out to the wilderness for 40 days, right? And he fasted and prayed for 40 days. So fasting is an incredible way for us to draw ourselves in to Jesus and, and bring and really kind of center and focus us spiritually. So we're going to do that. But Jesus has taught us about prayer and fasting. And now he comes to this part. And very quickly, he addresses earthly possessions, not in a negative way, not in a don't be greedy way or a sacrifice or else way. I know a lot of you came up in churches where, um, it was God's not going to bless you unless you give at least 10%, right? God, God doesn't start blessing you until after you give a tithe of your income. And the blessing comes out. Well, that's just not true. Okay, that's not biblical teaching. That's just not true. Um, a lot of you came up in churches that, uh, where they'd send you a letter. You don't have to raise your hands, but they'd send you a letter so that you would, make, you would write your commitment for the giving for the year. Uh, and, you know, they, people run their churches the way they run their churches. I personally believe that... You should go to God and pray and find out what kind of sacrifice he wants you to make in all areas of life, including financially, to benefit the church and to, to uh, move the kingdom of God along. But Jesus isn't talking about earthly possessions here in a, in a, a stern way. He addresses possessions as a heart thing. 
Because really serving God is a heart thing. It's all about your heart. It's all about where your heart is. Now, the word that is used here for heart in the Greek means your center. Your center. So the idea here, Jesus says, the things that you hold most dear, the things that matter to you the most in your life are the things that are going to be at the very center of your life. They're going to be the things that not only matter to you the most, but the things that you spend most of your time doing. Now, I know this is America, so we refuse to call it football. We call it soccer, but we have a gentleman wearing a Brazil, the uncrowned World Cup champions of 2022. It's my prediction. But some of us love soccer. I love soccer. I played soccer in high school, played in college, played some in the army, and I love soccer. So this last week has been like heaven. You know, I've got the TV on. How many of you have watched some, a part of every World Cup soccer game? I oh, love it, love it, love it, love it. I, I, we, have a, we have this darling new puppy in our house. Her name, is, her name is Lala. And she's already as big as a horse, and she's not even six months old. But Lala, we're crate training her, and Lala, about between 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning, will start to whimper. And she'll wake me up, so I have to get up and let her out. And I'm not going to go back upstairs because I can't trust Lala downstairs. So I usually go lay down on the couch for a little while. But it's been great because the last week I've been able to turn on the World Cup at 5 o'clock and watch soccer. So I've been watching some of it. It has shown me that I really, I know this is kind of a, a corny illustration, but it has shown me that I really do love this. I love this game. I love watching it. I love everything about it. And I know Americans are like, oh, how, how can you really enjoy something that ends up in a nothing-nothing tie? Well, I don't know. But I do. I like watching it. So I'm willing to make the time and take the time to even have it on in the background while I'm doing something else. Okay? Those are the kind of things that Jesus is talking about here. The kind of things that maybe during the day, maybe during normal life, everything else goes on. But when it comes to your center, when it comes to what you hold dear, those things that you just can't live without, oh man, those are the possessions Jesus is talking about. Those are the kind of things that he's referring to here. The things that you hold dear at your core. The, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, we read about what should be the greatest concern of us as believers when it comes to our presentation of self and our priorities to the world around us. See, a lot of what we do as Christians, a lot of how we minister to others is the way we present ourselves, right? Presentation, those of you who have ever worked in uh, the, the uh, culinary field, uh, presentation is, is, is as important, some, some would argue, or more, is more important than taste, right? We had a great conversation in the, on the way here to church about liver. Because Erin made, a, Aaron made a, a, a turkey yesterday. We went to her parents' house for Thanksgiving and we went and bought a turkey yesterday because she wanted to make one. And, and she boiled up the, the innards, the heart and the liver and all that. And she threw the liver away. Well, 
this amazing puppy that we have, Lala, she's incredible. And she, she went to the trash and she got the heart, right? And so Michael's standing there while there's a soccer game on. Michael says, Dad, what is Lala chewing? I said, I don't know. We, have, we get him those bones that she can chew so she doesn't chew the living room table, the dining room table, or the ceiling or something like that. And I looked at it and you could hear it. You could hear it squish a little bit, okay? <laughs> All right? And I said, well, that's not a bone. So I went over, and like a dog, she dropped it out of her mouth a little bit. I looked down, and I said, ooh, that's a heart. So I grabbed it and uh, threw it out. So um, where was I going with that? It was such a, good, it was such a good illustration for what I was saying, what I was talking about. But uh, presentation. Presentation, right. And we had this conversation about liver in the car. And I'm sure we, with the, the, the ladies and gentlemen that we have that are amazing cooks and chefs in our church, you could make a plate of liver and onions look amazing, right? I don't care how you, I don't care. Uh, my dad used to say he could make liver so that anybody would like it. And I, you know, I'd never want to argue with my dad, but, and I'd never want to call my dad a liar, but I would just say this. He's wrong. Because you make it any way you want. You could present it any way you want. You can make the plate look amazing, and it's still going to taste like liver. And liver is nasty. Right? Liver is nasty. It's, it's just one of those things that, ugh. But in the presentation of it, you can fool people. You ever, you ever had something like that? You're like, I know I don't like that. Oh, let's take something like, oh, well, fruitcake. Because we had a conversation about fruitcake this morning, right? We're talking about fruitcake, right? It's still going to be fruitcake, right? You could make it look the way you want it to look, but right, like, like Brian's grandmother, you can soak it in brandy and then you just don't care. But anyway, the idea, back, to, back to the center here. Presentation is everything. And that's the way it is with us as Christians. The way we reach out to the world first is the way we present ourselves. The way we're going to influence people for Jesus Christ and draw them in to him is the way we present him. And Peter tells us here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart. The imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You see, we spend so much time working on the outside and the presentation of the outside when what really matters is the, present, the presentation from the inside out. We sing that song, right? Uh, consume me from the inside out. Lord, consume me from the inside out. Let that change happen on the inside and, and radiate outside. That's the presentation that we're looking for. And that's the one that matters. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, we are in the, the only thing I can call this is the, this, this week, this weekend is the holiday season juxtaposition. Okay? So we put two things together that are just kind of, it's not really an oxymoron, but they're kind of, they don't really fit together. This time of year is very interesting to dissect. We just celebrated a day of Thanksgiving where 91, it would, uh, a 
survey was done this year, 91% of Americans were going to celebrate Thanksgiving with a Thanksgiving meal. That's, per, that's pretty close to unanimous. We can't get 91% of Americans to agree on anything, right? 91% of Americans celebrated Thanksgiving. Only to be followed by the greatest day of complete and unabashed consumerism of the year, Black Friday. The Christmas season will see Americans, check this out, the Christmas season this year is, is estimated to see Americans spend over $942 billion. Between $942 billion and $965 billion, I believe, is the range. That's a lot of cash on Christmas. $15.2 billion, check this out, $15.2 billion will be spent on unwanted presents. Worldwide, shoppers are expected to spend $209 billion online alone for Christmas. That's just online shopping. And $1.2 billion is expected to be spent on Cyber Monday, which is tomorrow, online. Yesterday, anybody get a chance to come out to the, the, fair, the craft fair here yesterday? We, we let a group come out to our, uh, use our, our fellowship hall. Next time, they're going to... Um, so they're going to use the auditorium. Wow. You should have seen the crowd here for six hours yesterday. There's a huge crowd of people out here shopping at, for, at a craft sale. It's quite a contrast for me, and I'm sure the debate can, be, can and will be made as to whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's not what this message is about. And I don't think that Jesus was addressing greed or presence or things like Christmas when he gave us this teaching. And, Really, don't expect me to come in and bash consumerism and bash those kind of things for Christmas because I think the Christmas season is a time for us to spread joy and love. And man, if, that, if, if giving someone a gift is what that means to you, then give them a gift. We, we, give, we give gifts, and we're not going to get into all this because we've got that coming up, but we give gifts at Christmas time to mimic what the wise men did for Jesus on, when, when they came to see him. So that's where gifts come from. Now, now just because somebody else takes it and, and perverts it and destroys it, and I love people that, that don't believe in God yet still celebrate Christmas, that's, that's called an oxymoron right there. Um, but that's not, what we're, that's, that's not where we're coming from here. So I don't want anybody to feel bad or make, or, or make you think that Jesus is trying to make you feel bad for having possessions, for having things, for having a nice home, for having a job that provides for your family well, and where you can do good things. That's not what we're talking about here. And I'm, I'm, I'm not one of, these, one of those people who say as Americans we should feel bad because we have such great wealth when many of the world goes without. I don't think that's, I, I think we should be thankful for that and we should because of that reach out and help the world. That's my opinion, okay? I think we waste a whole lot of money in our country on things that we don't need and don't matter when we could be helping the world. You know, $10,000 will drill a well in a village in Africa and give them clean water. $10,000. We could, we, uh, anyway, yeah. We're, we're getting way off track with that. Anyway, Jesus isn't against celebrating 
or celebrations or gifts or even spending money on others. In fact, our celebration in heaven will include the greatest meal of all time as well as gifts given to us by God himself for our service and our faithfulness. So that isn't the concentrated focus here. What is the focus of this teaching is our heart and what the attitude of our heart is towards our possessions. Where's your heart? How is your heart focused? What matters most to you? Is Sunday just a day for you to do your religious duty? Or is it a day, is it a day for you to come together with your family and worship and celebrate? What does Jesus mean to you? And more focused, what is at the center of your heart? It's very easy for us to lose our heart's focus when following Jesus. Very easy for us to get sidetracked or off-center and start losing our passion. I believe it's very easy for us simply to go through the motions and become religious or let the focus of our vision become very human instead of very eternal. Jesus warns us against this. He says that we need to make sure that what matters to us is what matters to him and to his kingdom. He says that what we need to make sure of is that our hearts are set on what is eternal, not what is temporary. That's what he's saying here. Is your heart set on the temporary, the things that are not going to go with you when you die? Or are they set on the things that are eternal, those things that will last forever, more pointedly, the souls of other people? I had a great conversation with Gabriel and Michael in the car uh, last night about this kind of thing. Because they're in junior high now and they're getting the teachings from teachers, uh, in, especially in science class, uh, about evolution and things like that. And listen, I'm not, I'm not, those, those fights are there and I'm not going to make my 11-year-old my boys be the center of a storm that I have a problem with. What I tell my boys is, and, and I challenge you parents to do this. I don't think we should rip our kids out of public schools. I think when you take light out of darkness, you just leave darkness. So I believe Jesus says to shine the light into the darkness. All right? That's my, that's my philosophy. So I tell my boys, listen, they want you to give an answer, this answer, and that's fine. You give that answer. Just know that in reality, that answer is wrong. Okay? We didn't come from monkeys. And we could have that whole debate, and I could go in and I could have that whole argument and fight with a science teacher. You know, it's not going to change a thing. All it's going to do is give me a, a bad reputation with them. So you know what? I'll, fight, I'll, I'll choose to fight the fights that matter, and I'll choose to teach my boys what truly is true. Because we had that conversation about those kind of things, and, and, and God, and and what matters to a person and what matters about a person. And it was a great opportunity for me to share my heart with my 11-year-old boys, why I do what I do, why I've chosen to give my life to this profession, to this calling, why I've said yes. Listen, it's very easy to walk away from something like this. It's very easy to walk away. It, it, for many people, I should say, there are like 800 pastors a week that quit the ministry. I will, I, by the grace of God, I won't do that because this goes beyond what people think and it goes beyond what people say and it goes beyond what teachers teach. It goes to the very core of who I am and what my life is about. 
And being able to share my heart with my sons is passing along to the next generation what they need to hear, what they need to learn. That this life, while it's difficult and while it's a struggle, is about serving Jesus Christ at your core, at your center. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter if people agree or disagree. And I try to get them to understand, you can't make people agree with you. You just can't. How many of you have learned that lesson in life the hard way? You cannot make people agree with you. And you're a fool for trying. What you can do is share with people what you believe. And then water that seed with prayer, just like the Bible says to. And allow the Holy Spirit to bring the increase in their lives. But we have got to keep our focus on the fact that it does matter how we present Jesus Christ. It does matter what's at our core. And it's very easy for us to get away from that center. It's very easy for us to get focused on things of this earth rather than things that are after this life. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here. How do you get there as a believer? How do you get to the point where your heart is fixed on things that matter for eternity? How do you get that focus and then maintain that focus throughout a life of walking with him? The Bible is filled with stories about this dilemma that followers of God faced and with a teaching that instructs us how to get to that point. This morning I just want to explore this a little bit by looking at three different Bible characters that were each faced with a question by God about their present situation. Very briefly. The first question is this question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? This is a question for Elijah, the prophet of Elijah. We find this question posed to him in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you remember your Bible stories, you remember that Elijah was a prophet of God. And Elijah was a powerful man of God. He was a man that did miracles. He did a total of seven miracles in his life. In fact, his, the, 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 his protege and the one that was to follow him in ministry was Elisha. And Elisha, if you remember when Elisha uh, prayed, he, he, he said, God, give me a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And when Elijah was, when Elijah was taken up into uh, heaven in a chariot of fire, his mantle fell down, his robe fell down. And God said, if you catch his mantle, I'll grant your request. And he caught his mantle. And we see that Elisha had a double portion of Elijah's spirit because Elijah pre performed seven miracles and Elisha performed 14. And that's just a part of what was, going, what was happening in the life of Elisha. But Elijah was a strong and powerful man and a strong prophet of God. And the king during his lifetime was King Ahab, or the main, the main king. And that's the, the king that most of his stories were about. Ahab was married to a woman. Anybody remember Ahab's wife's name? Jezebel. Jezebel, right? And maybe you come from a church where they, call, they talk about a Jezebel spirit. Not really a nice thing to say about somebody, right? She's got a Jezebel spirit. That's, a, that's not usually a name you'll find. Some people, I've heard people name their cats Jezebel, right? <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard people call their neighbors Jezebel, but not in my neighborhood. <laughs> but, but Ahab and Jezebel, what a pair, right? What a pair. 
Ahab was kind of a milk toast guy. And Jezebel, whew, Jezebel was, a, was something else. Jezebel was evil, man. She was mean. She was nasty. And she hated Elijah. And Jezebel, her, because of Jezebel, Ahab led Israel into idolatry. And remember the, remember the, 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 the Baal idol, the, the cod idol they worshipped? was Baal, right? And they had prophets of Baal, and they had temples and all these things to Baal. And Elijah constantly tried to bring Israel back to God. And it wasn't working because Israel was falling into Baal worship. So it all came down to this big confrontation on the mountain, right? And Elijah said, okay, let's have a contest. We'll have a contest between Baal and between my God. And they built altars and, and the, the prophets of Baal went first. And they built this altar and they put a sacrifice on the altar. And then they spent the day, the whole day, dancing around the altar, crying out to Baal. The Bible says they began to cut themselves and all kinds of things to get fire to come down from heaven to consume the, the sacrifice. All day long, the, the 900 prophets of Baal did this, and nothing happened. Then remember what Elijah did? Elijah had him build the altar, had him put the sacrifice in the altar, and then what did he do? With water, man. Seven pots of water, right? He brought seven big pots of water, and he, he poured water all over the sacrifice, and, and there was a trench around the altar, and it was filled. Elijah, in the King James, I believe it's a 51-word prayer that Elijah prays. And he says, God, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, God, would you show these people who you are? Would you show them your power right now here on this mountain? What happened? Fire, lightning came down from heaven, struck the altar, it consumed the sacrifice, it licked up all the water around it, and it burned the stones. God won. Then, the 900 prophets of Baal were slaughtered. And God was shown to be God. This takes place after that. When Jezebel... This evil woman said, bring me Elijah because I'm going to kill him. Now this man, listen man, this was big, this was a big deal. This guy had just stood not only against the 900 prophets of Baal, the king and the queen, but the entire nation of Israel was out there watching this display. This one guy, one guy stood against all of that and called fire down from heaven. And then this woman says, I'm going to kill him. And what did he do? He ran. He ran away. Now we can dissect why that happened. You know, you get to a place where you are completely empty and you've poured yourself out. That's why it's so important for you to fill yourself back up. That's why I encourage you 
and say Sunday morning is where you should be. That's why we're having church on, East, on Christmas Sunday. Because even though it's Christmas, you should still be here. Because some of you, some of you women especially, you're going to spend all this next month making sure you have a present for everybody, including the bus driver and the bus monitor, right? And, and, and the crossing guard and all this. And you're going to bake and you're going to do this and that and the other thing. And you forget all about yourself. And on the 26th of December, you're going to collapse. And then the bills are going to start coming in for that $948 billion that you had a part of. Before we get real hard on Elijah for running away, let's remember what this guy just went through. He poured out himself completely before God. So let's cut him a little bit of slack when he has a moment of weakness. And he ran. Hey, God didn't throw a lasso around him and says, get, say, get back here. He let him run. He let him go. He let him go into the wilderness. In fact, he led him to a place, a, a brook called Cherith, a, uh, the Cher, a brook of Cherith. And Elijah was able to drink. And Elijah was fed by ravens. Ravens brought him food. So he had gone on this long journey into the wilderness without provisions and God restored him with fresh water from a brook and food brought to him by ravens. And my dad used to say he liked to think that God sent the ravens to Ahab's table to take the steak off Ahab's plate and bring it back. I don't know what he brought him, but they brought, them, they, they brought Elijah food so that he would be physically restored. That brings us to this, this passage right here. 1 Kings 19 uh, verses, verses 11 through 13. God is speaking. He says, that, Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering the cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood before the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? In that question, I think there was a lot of depth. What are you doing here, Elijah? Some of you, you're asking yourself that question right now, aren't you? Maybe not here in church on this Sunday morning, but in your life. What am I doing here? How did I get to this point in life? How did I get to this place? I'll be, I'll be, I'll be 60 in like 15 days. My gosh. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. That was my wife that said, wow. Oh, that was Lou. Oh, Lewis. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up, Lewis. That was such a tender moment, and Lewis blew it, right? Just, 
and it, I, it, age doesn't really affect me because I really don't act my age. I don't feel my age. Thank you for that. <laughs> but 60, man, I've asked myself, how did I get to this place? That's a lot of years. And maybe you're asking yourself that question, not necessarily in a great way. How did I get here? How did my life turn out? I didn't have these dreams when I was 18. One of the things I love about working over the high school is you get to talk to the teenagers about their future. Well, what are your plans? And I love to hear that young people have dreams and they have goals and they have desires to be something. And maybe your dreams and maybe your desires and maybe your plans when you were a teenager or even when you first got married, well, they're not what your plans are now. And maybe even in your marriage, you're asking yourself, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? What contributed to your descent? Or what contributed to your ascension? Looking at Elijah, what, what contributed to your fear? What contributed to your despair? What happened that brought you to a place where you felt you had to run away when you had just shown that you had just been the conduit to the nation through the power of God being called down on a mountain. And don't think that it was just the people there in that place. It was a mountain. So you could see from miles around. Christian, what are you doing here? In your life, and what are you doing here at this church? What are you doing in your walk with Jesus? The lesson I think that God is giving to Elijah that we can apply here is this. You're running. You're running from God and you're running from his purpose. Oh, you may, Elijah may have been running from Jezebel, but he was really running from God. The God that had just proven himself to be so powerful and mighty. Elijah couldn't even trust him to keep him safe from Jezebel. Maybe the God you've trusted all your life is now the God that you're questioning. Maybe he's the God that you're running from. The God that you've tried to serve, and the God you've tried to get close to, you're now running from him when you should be working for him. This can even happen when you're being faithful to church. This can even happen when on the outside you're doing all the things that a Christian is supposed to do. Why can it happen? Because it's not an outward thing, as Peter told us. It's a heart thing. You see, it's a heart thing. What's the center? What, what do you hold dear in your center? What do you hold dear in your life? What matters most to you? What will you plant your flag on? What hill will you plant your flag on? And what will you defend? 
Is it the things of God? Is it your walk with Him? I'll be honest with you. I want to think that nothing in this world will take me away from following Jesus. In fact, I'll, I'll be very transparent. I've shared this before. Uh, I, I think I said it last week or the week before. I'm, I'm, I'm a divorced pastor, which a lot of people, uh, you know, they, for whatever, whatever. When I went through that, I was a pastor here. I was a pastor here at New Life when I went through my divorce. Some people are still here that were here when I, when I was married to my ex-wife, Zach's mom. That's why Zach is 39 and Gabriel and Michael are 11. And I told the church I was going to resign. I said, I'm praying about resigning. And the church came back and the answer was, you could ask the people that are here. It wasn't me. I didn't do a hostile takeover or anything like that. They said, Pastor, if you, fo- if you lead us, we'll follow. And man, I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to. If you've ever gone through divorce, I wanted to dig a hole and go bury myself. It was tough. Tough place to be. Tough, tough place to be. And I spent a lot of time praying. And I walked. I think the reason I love Lala so much and the reason I wanted her is because she reminds me of my dog Gibson. I had a dog, I had a little beagle named Gibson. Gibson was my dog at that time, and he was my prayer partner. And I took Gibson on walks around the golf course, and I was crying praying and talking to God. And I, I had a plan for my life. I was going to go do something else because it just wasn't, it wasn't worth it to me at that time to stay. And I finally surrendered my heart and my will and my plan. And I said, okay, God, if this is what you, you want to know, you, you, you want to ask me, well, pastor, if, if people are so against you out there, why do you stay? It's because I know that God has called me here. I don't need somebody else to approve of me. And that's the lesson I want you to learn as well. You don't need anybody out there to approve of you being here. You need to make sure that this is where God wants you. Because I did. And I said, okay, God, if this is where you want me to be, if this is truly what you want, then I'll do it. The only thing I ask is that you you preserve my integrity. And that I go through this and come out the other side with my integrity. And there are people that can say that a lie about me and say all kinds of th- things about me, but when the rubber meets the road, it's nothing but lies. There are people that say that I ruined my first marriage with my wife Erin, my current wife Erin. And that's stupid. I'll just say that openly. That's stupid. Erin wasn't right. No, Erin wasn't, wasn't even here in this church when my first wife left. You asked Joan LaPrad, who is back here, who was Erin's um, uh, mentor. She wasn't even here. Sue and, Sue and uh, what's your name again? Cliff. Sue and, <laughs> he's only been here since Jesus started the church. Sue and Cliff. So that's just not true. You know what? I can spend my life trying to defend that and fighting against those lies, but why do they matter? They don't matter. What other people think of me doesn't matter. What Jesus knows about me and what I know about myself, that's my center. That's my focus. So when the question is asked of me, what are you doing here? I'm doing God's will here. I'm living for Jesus here. As tough as it is, as difficult as it is, sometimes as much of a struggle as it is, I'm doing the will of God here. And I'll continue to do it here until God says it's time to move. 
that's where, that's the question that he's asking you. What are you doing here? How did you get to this point? And now that you're here, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your service? What are you going to do in service to New Life Church and the kingdom of God? What are you doing here? 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Say, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control and everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That's the worst thing in the world. I think that's the most heartbreaking, scary verse to me in the world, in the entire Bible. I can get to a place where I do everything I do. I serve, I minister, I do all of this stuff, but I do it in the wrong way for the wrong purpose. And after I've done everything for everybody else, I am left empty. I've, I've, I've done it for the wrong reasons. I've done it for the wrong purpose. Now I'm telling you, man, you, you run the race, it says one receives the prize. Can I just tell you the end of that story? I received the prize, man. I, feel, I, I, I don't like to compare myself to biblical characters because I think that's kind of arrogant and whatnot, but I will compare myself to Job. Bible teaches about a man named Job, right? And Job lost everything. And after he got through the trial, what happened? God blessed him with amazing stuff. I have the most incredible wife you'll ever want to meet in your life. She is phenomenal. I think she's amazing. Love her with all my heart. Aaron May Chase, God blessed me with her. She told me God was going to bless me with her. <laughs> but, but God blessed me with Aaron. And it, she has challenged me in ways that I never thought I could be challenged and has, has, has caused me to grow to areas in my life that I never, ever thought I, I could attain. She's been amazing for me. And then one of the greatest things, that the, the, I'm not great at much of anything in my life. I loved sports. I loved baseball. Played baseball all through high school. Played the military. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, but I loved being a dad. I just loved being a dad. And I, I love my two daughters, Ray Ann, if you're watching. Love you, Ray. You're wonderful. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Jody, love you too. But I had a son named Zach. Still do. He's here. And Zach and I have a very special relationship. I loved that. I loved being his dad. I loved raising my son. And now, have you ever met my two boys? <laughs> I have two Zachs. There's my, there's my Zach out there. But Aaron and I are blessed with Gabriel and Michael. I have a little Jack out there too. Hi, Jack. Listen, man, when you can answer that question and say, God, this is, where, this is why I'm here, and I'm here to serve you, and I'm here to do what you've called me to do, I'm telling you, man, God will bless your life. You don't have to keep searching. You don't have to keep running. You don't have to keep digging. God will show you what your life is all about, and he will bless you beyond belief. Listen, I'm not a rich man. I'm not a wealthy guy. I doubt I ever will be. 
But that doesn't mean God hasn't opened up the windows of heaven and poured out a blessing in my life that I can't contain. I have the privilege of being able to go over to the Agawam Cemetery and chat with my dad, who is the greatest dad you'll ever want to have in your life. Something that so many people never got to have. A great father. So man, if you will give your life to him and be able to answer that question, what are you doing here? I'm doing your will here, God. I'm doing my best to serve you. Even in the struggle, even in the difficulty, even in the dark times, even in the times where I'm so empty I can't move. God, I'm still here. And you know, the, you know the center of my heart, God. You know the passion of my heart. Even though I'm not thinking it right now, even though I'm discouraged right now, God, you know the passion of my heart. And Elijah, if you go on and read that story, Elijah said that. It's like, God, I'm empty, man. I am, I'm empty of everything. But I'm the only one that's serving you. Even in the middle of despair, Elijah still said, my passion is to serve you, God. God's response was, you're not the only one. I'm going to restore you, and I've got 6,000 men that are serving me. So I'm going to send people along to help you. What are you doing here? Inclusion. You're chasing the wrong treasure, and you need to refocus. Refocus. Second question, very quickly. It's question Moses was asked from God. Remember when Moses ran away from Egypt? He went out to the desert. After 40 years, he was out in the desert herding sheep, and he saw something burning on a mountain. And he went up and he saw this burning bush, right? And it was, was so amazing about it, it was, the bush was on fire, but it wasn't burning. It wasn't being consumed. And the voice of God spoke to Moses, and We'll, we'll go through all of this and kind of give a synopsis of it. And God told Moses, I'm, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses, although he was a, raised as to be you know, one of the leaders of Egypt in, the Pharaoh, in Pharaoh's house, he said, God, I can't speak. <laughs> he, gave God, he, he gave every excuse to God why he could not serve. And then he finally said, well, God, <clears throat> what if they won't listen to me? What if they won't listen to me when I say, God sent me? What did God say to him? In Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. What if they don't believe me? What if they say the Lord didn't appear to you? The Lord asked him, what's in your hand? What is in your hand? And he was holding his staff. He said, a staff. And he said, throw it down. So he threw that staff down. And what happened? The staff turned into a snake. <laughs> God said, if they don't believe you, throw the staff down. You remember the story? He got to, the, he got to Pharaoh's court, and he threw his staff down and became a snake. And what did, the, what did the wise men from Pharaoh's court do? They, threw the same, they did the same thing. And what happened? Moses, Moses' staff ate the other snakes, and then he picked it back up, and he became a staff again. <clears throat> What's in your hand? You see, when you, ask, when you can answer the question, what, you're doing, what are you doing here? I'm here to serve God. But then you say, well, 
how am I serving God? What can I do? There's not much I can do. I'm, maybe you're like me. You're not a very gifted or talented guy in, in areas that the church could really use. You know? What's in your hand? What is it in your hand? You may not be able to do the things that you think are important, but let me ask you a question. What can you do? You ever ask yourself that question? What can you do? What is it that you are able to do? Oh, I, I, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do it. Maybe you're like me. You, you, you. Children are not your favorite. Right? You're, not, you're not called to be a children's minister. You can't sing, you can't do this, and you can't play the, the instruments. And, well, quite honestly, we have a drummer, so we don't need a drummer. Right? We have people, a, but what can you do? See, that's what God was asking Moses, and that's what he's asking you. Well, what's in your hand? What do you have? What abilities do you have? Because I created you, I made you, I gifted you with the things you have. You just need to understand what you have, and then, let me show you what I can do with it. You see, he didn't say, okay, Moses, take that staff and, and do something with it and scientifically diffuse it so that you can take the DNA out and go find a mosquito uh, and take the blood out of the mosquito from uh, eons past and make it into a... No, God said, you've got a staff in your hand, throw it down and watch what I can do. You see, some of you are saying, eh, I just don't have anything. I just don't have anything that can be used. God's saying, what's in your hand? What have I given you? How have I gifted you? Don't think about what you can do with it. Just tell me what you have and let me show you what I can do with it. Let me show you how I can use you. Well, I'm... I'm too old for this. I'm, you know, I'm, I mean, that's a young couples group that meets once a month. Really? I go to it. I don't think I qualify as young anymore. My wife does. My, yeah. What can you bring to that group? Yourself. Your energy. Your passion. Your excitement. See, there's all kinds of things that you can do if you'll just let God show you what he can and wants to do through you. The lesson, you have what you need to be effective. The conclusion, use what God has given you in the place that he, is, he has you. You don't need flash or, grammar or, or glamour. You have what you need. God can use you here in this church. We had two ladies that hung out here all day yesterday. Our assistant pastor's wife, associate pastor's wife, she, Tiffany, she put, uh, she, she collaborated and got everything together yesterday for the church. And that was a great promotion for the church, brought people out to our church yesterday. There are still people in this town that don't know that new life is here, even though we've been here for 40 years. There's still people that don't know that. So it brought a lot, brought, literally brought hundreds of people here yesterday. It also raised about $500 for the church. So it was an amazing day. And two ladies gave up their day to, 
facilitate a craft fair. Well, uh, no, man, that was service to God. Maybe next time, and I'm just spitballing here, maybe next time New Life Church can have a craft table where the men and women of New Life make crafts and sell them and, and pass the donations on to the church. And by using your gift and talent to make and create, you can help to further the ministry of the gospel. You see, there's all kinds of ways. If you will just say, God, here's what's in my hand. Would you show me how to use it? Last, the last question, very quickly. We find in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And Isaiah says that uh, he had a vision. The vision was of angels in front of the throne. And one of the angels went to the altar and took a coal and placed it on his lips and, and purified them. And then, I'm, I'm shortening the story quite a bit. And God looks at Isaiah. And he says, after your sin is atoned for, who will I send? Who will go for us? Who will I send? Who will go for us? He said, I've learned. Uh, I know that being in the military isn't for everybody. It's, very, it's a very different lifestyle. It's a very uh, different mentality. And it's not on the radar of everybody. The time I went into the military, it was about serving. It was about kind of, kind of learning a little bit about what my dad did, you know, curiosity about the military. But quite honestly, if you lived around here in 1981, 1982, there weren't a lot of jobs, right? I was working, I was, I was working uh, at the old, it's, it's now Boston Market up on Boston Road. Back then it was Roy Rogers. Anybody ever dine at Roy Rogers, roast beef? Yeah. I was the night manager. I was making $2.25 an hour. $2.25. Now minimum wage in Massachusetts is almost 15 bucks an hour. I was making $2.25. Not making a lot of money. Well, the military offered me a $5,000 bonus. Didn't realize what I'd have to do for that. <laughs> to learn how to copy Morse code. Man, one of the most exciting things. One of the things I'm... I, now it's a party trick, but I love. I loved what I did. And I loved the experiences I had. It was amazing. But over the course of the years, I've, I've talked to people and, and it's like, and maybe you're one of these people, guys have to feel, they feel like they have to apologize to me or explain why they never went into the military. You never have to explain that. It wasn't for you. It's not a, it, just, like, just like going to, you know, going to certain places isn't for me or for other people. It's not everybody can serve. Not everybody wants to serve. Not everybody is cut out for that. It's not a big deal if you didn't go. But when it comes to serving God, this question, it's a big deal. He's asking each and every one of us, who will I send? Who will go for me? Who is going to do my will? Who is going to serve me? Who is going to be willing to give up all that this world has and the, the pursuit of this life for eternity. Doesn't mean I'm not going to bless you. 
Doesn't mean you're not going to have nice things. Doesn't mean that, you're not, that I'm not going to use you in certain ways that will make you very happy. What I'm asking about is your center, your heart. Who will go for me? Who will give up their passion for mine? The lesson, there's a cause to serve. There is a cause to serve. The conclusion comes down to this, comes down to this question. And this wraps up this entire message in one question. Question back to you. Jesus says all this about our treasure. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. All these questions, all of this, all of that, all the things that I've shared with you comes down to this one question. When, Jesus, when, when God asks you, who will I send? Who will go for me? I'd ask you this question as we close. Are you willing to find your treasure in Jesus? Are you willing to find the treasure of your life? In Jesus. Not in people, not in things, not in money, not in life pursuits, but in Jesus. And then when he says what's in your hand, he can use that to use you to build his kingdom. When he asks you what you're doing here, man, you'll have an answer. I'm here to serve you, God. When he asks you, who will I send, who will go for me? You say, listen, God, I don't know what's coming up. But count me in. Count me in. I'll go. Are you willing to find your treasure in Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for an amazing, uh, it's been an amazing week, God, a great Thanksgiving week, a great time of being thankful. And Lord, this, this season is just a great time of, of celebration, I guess is the best word for it. Lord, as you taught us here, there is a cause, there's a purpose in life. There's something to pursue with you. Father, would you help us to answer these questions and really give this last answer, Father, in an honest way. Are we willing to find our treasure in you? Lord, as we go from this place today, pray that we'll love you, that we'll serve you, that we'll worship you, that we'll walk through every open door that you show to us. And that every moment of every day will be consumed with serving you. Bless us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.